Hello, I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm here to encourage you to subscribe to The Spectator's American edition. If you visit spectator.us forward slash subscribe, you can get our print and digital edition for just $7.99 a month. This means you get unlimited access to our amazing website and we'll send you a beautiful 80-page monthly magazine. You'll also have access to our mobile app. Subscribe now at spectator.us forward slash subscribe. You won't regret it. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics? The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Andy No, who is the author of Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. And we're going to be talking about the surge of violence against Asian Americans. Uh, now, Andy, thank you very much for joining us. It's good to have you on again. Thank you for having me on to talk about this important topic. Andy, there's lots of reasons to talk about the subject, but the immediate peg for this discussion, if you like, is the slaughter of eight women in Atlanta. Six of them were Asian, and there was a, an immediate rush by the media to pin this to the growing phenomenon of violence against Asian Americans. Now, it seems in this instance the media was too quick, as often is the case, to put it down to racism, since the latest we've discovered is that this man seems to have been a sort of sex-mad sociopath, I think. That seems to be a fair description. But we don't quite know all the details of the case. But it is kind of typical, isn't it, that the media put it down to racism before they knew any cause? Yeah, I think... Uh, so for people who are familiar with my work, they probably know of me for my writings and reportings on Antifa. And I don't normally talk about my Asian-American identity it, very rarely has intersected with the the narrow beats that I'm on. But I do, I do think it's important for me to be speaking about my views on the very cynical exploitation of the, the mass shootings that happened in Atlanta. So Asian Americans has been kind of a relatively ignored demographic for the both the political left and the right. Part of the reason being that we are... Uh, a smaller demographic population and we are not really situated in states that are important swing states in the same way that black and hispanic americans are and by and large many young asian americans have been able to sort of avoid the siren calls of critical race theory just because by all the metrics that measure integration, Asian Americans have done extremely well in terms of income, education, health, etc. So these uh, victimhood narratives that come out of critical race theory generally don't appeal to a lot of us. But I think the the cynical hard left and uh, the the legacy American media have been really trying to pull this demographic into their field to build this coalition of 
different what they'd say are oppressed minorities against the the white uh, demographic majority and they used irresponsibly the the shootings in a way that is, I find very personally offensive so as we found out pretty quickly from both the local investigators and as well as the head of the FBI there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that this was somehow racially motivated and everything we know so far based on what the suspect who's been apprehended has said himself is that it's related to his sexual addiction issues which uh, we know from his family that he's received medical treatment for so i think all these other issues that we could really be talking about based on the evidence like for example mental health in america the intersection with violence and guns as well as the other thing that people aren't comfortable talking about is that these massage parlors are quite frequently a front for sex services and sex- sexual abuse rings involving migrant women and that appears to likely be the case on here based on the various uh, websites that the that featured these so-called massage parlors so that that particular narrative is falling apart but i think this wider discussion about racially motivated attacks against asian americans i appreciate that it's happening regardless but we're not properly diagnosing it in the discourses that are happening within the mainstream press it's all being fo- focused around the the prism and ideological framework of crt which blames whiteness and white supremacy for everything I suppose that's why the media was so quick to jump onto this, was it was a, wh- a white killer, and so it could easily be sort of stamped as a, as a white supremacist crime before we knew any details. But it's, it, it, is, it is true, nonetheless, there is this phenomenon of rising violence against Asian Americans. And I wondered from what you said there whether you think part of the violence against Asian Americans is motivated by the success that Asian Americans have had in integrating as a community, they are not as downtrodden, as oppressed as other minority groups. And so therefore, often other minority groups feel violent towards them. Is that a fair thing to speculate about? Um, I haven't read any of the academic literature that will, that has looked into trying to find the causations for violent crimes on Asian American victims. But I have been looking into the data released by the Bureau of Justice Justice Statistics, which is under the the DOJ in the U.S., they do have some pretty sobering data on the uh, race of victims and offenders in violent crimes and incidents. So according to the 2018 data, around 27.5% of violent offenders against Asian victims in the United States are Black. That's pretty sobering when you also factor in that Black Americans are only around 13% of the population. Mm. The inverse of that, in terms of Blacks being victimized by an Asian offender and violent incidents is less than 0.1%. And if you do the math, you can simplify it as for every single Black victim of Asian on Black violence in the U.S., there are approximately around 5,000 Asian victims of Black and Asian violence. Right. So I think these narratives around white supremacy and all that, they don't hold up under the scrutiny of the data. 
same the, the same thing goes for if you uh, scrutinize the claims made by Black Lives Matter, for example, or Antifa, or any of these hard left movements. And I think this this rush to judgment to assume that that because the apprehended suspect in the Atlanta shootings is white, that this was a white supremacist attack, which some politicians are still going on despite what the FBI has said. I find that very troubling. I mean, that 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 is the same impulse to assume then that, for example, if if a Muslim was implicated in a crime that they were doing it because of their religion or you know, it's like that same type of very reductive reactionary rush to judgment, except it's being encouraged when a perpetrator or a suspect is white. But I mean I suppose what I was driving at there, because if you look at another group that is targeted a lot for hate crimes, uh, that's Jews. I think Jewish people in America are even more targeted um, than Asians in terms of hate crime. And that, then they're relatively another successful uh, socioeconomic group. And I'm just wondering whether some of the hatred directed them is from other minorities. And you, you say, as you point out, 27% of attacks uh, on Asians are carried out by black people. I wonder whether it is a case of Asian-Americans being resented, and I wonder whether you, in your experience of a journalist, have you experienced hostility from, not saying necessarily black people, but but from other ethnic groups or from, let's call it the progressive left, for your race, for your skin colour? So for the past couple of years in the United States, we've had some pretty high-profile mass killings of um, Jewish people involving black suspects. In, in some of the instances, they were doing it because they were motivated apparently by some type of black nationalist ideology, such as black Hebrew Israelites, or, and you can look at um, what their leaders say, you can look at what the Nation of Islam leaders say about Jewish people, and there is in that, that particular rhetoric and religious political ideology, a hatred and resentment of Jewish Americans. Mm. They, they blame them for gentrification, they also peddle in a lot of the historic anti-Semitic tropes. I'm not sure if that same type of ideology exists in terms of a hatred against Asian Americans that manifests itself in a violent resentment. I'm not sure yet. I guess we'll, I'll see if there's some academics who do research on that. Regarding my own experiences, my experiences of racism in the U.S. have thankfully been by and far very limited, but the times that they have happened have come from other people of color. And so for me personally, it doesn't, this whole blaming white supremacy for all types of racism in America didn't bring true to my own experiences. And in terms of when race is brought up in my, by my detractors who hate my work, particularly by people on the left. They call me things such as a race traitor or somebody who is throwing my own people under the bus in order to serve the white man. You get, uh, I mean, black conservatives get a lot of similar things. I don't think I've gotten it as viciously as some other prominent black conservative thinkers. But it's that same type of rationale, I think, that's driving my detractors to to bring up race in such a vicious way. 
I think there is a certain view that they have ownership over non-white demographics and they feel personally aggrieved when a person of color or some other or having some other type of minority trait you know we go off in a different political direction for whatever reason I just and I, and I reject that and I push back against that I think uh, I've been trying to bring a lot of attention to how all these uh, local law enforcement agencies and uh various groups in the Pacific Northwest who are thousands and thousands of miles away from Atlanta, Georgia, have all weighed in on the the shootings to talk about violence against Asian Americans. And my question for them has been like, why why were you silent when I was beaten in the middle of downtown by Antifa in 2019? Like, does violence perpetrated against Asian Americans only matter if it's carried out by a convenient demographic of, of perpetrators. And if that's so, you, you know, be transparent about that. It's frustrating that, you know, you, you can be the real victim of actual violence, but if the perpetrator happens to be far left, left wing, or some other ethnic minority, that this doesn't matter. I, I suppose what, what this story really has emphasized is that um, in the progressive mind, there is a sort of template that you can apply to all crimes against minorities. Uh, and in this template, it would be, you know, uh, MAGA hat wearing Trump supporters have beaten up or killed a member of a minority because that's what evil white people do. And then when you look at the this phenomenon of violence against Asian Americans, it doesn't fit uh, that template in any way. And that seems to make people even angrier. Yes, it does make them angry. And I, I haven't really spoken directly to like Asian Americans, and uh, I feel like because a, a lot the the Asian American experience is quite diverse, and that we we come from all these different cultures and countries within the continent of Asia. But I think I, I described it earlier. This whole the critical race theory is trying to lure the Asian American demographic and and it's a siren call. It's always, it's appealing and nurturing to be seen as a victim and to use that for your own advantage. And I would just urge others to resist that because you can see the, the, the actual consequences of CRT put into political decision-making disadvantages meritocracy. And I think meritocracy is why Asian Americans on average have done so well, particularly the generation who are uh, the second generation who were born and raised and educated in the U.S. And indeed, and we can see actual discrimination in universities against Asian, in elite universities against Asian Americans. I mean, it's just a fact now that Harvard, say, tries to limit the number of Asian Americans and actually positively discriminates against Asian Americans in order to reduce the number of them in, at the university. That's right. And right now there's a brewing controversy in San Francisco because the VP of the school board, Ms. Collins, some tweet her some posts that she had made in 2016 have surfaced in which she referred to Asian Americans, students, uh, teachers, parents as essentially house N-words because uh, they were not willing to have, in her words, quote, 
critical race conversations uh, and that they were throwing blacks under the bus. So it's, it's a divisive ideology that has been talked about by many other people who research it. You know, I, I would just like to point people to like, look at the data. It's not, it's not good for any of these demographic groups, especially not Asian Americans. Well, let's talk, you, you mentioned your work and, and the, the antipathy it generates among some people. Um, you're in Britain at the moment, but normally you cover violence, Antifa violence in America. And then, but last night there was some quite significant Antifa-ish, it looked to me, um, and judging from what I saw on your Twitter feed, violence in Bristol, in, in Britain. Are you seeing the same patterns in Britain that you've observed in America? So I've been trying to, in, in my travels to the UK, try to understand why there is less of an appetite here, even in the big urban areas, for sustained and maintained political violence. Even at the height of some of the BLM-related unrest that occurred in, in London last year on the whole George Floyd uh, bandwagon. It didn't last for weeks, for example. And a lot of people assume that that type of uh, response is the toppling of the statue in Bristol that happened last year, that all of it was relatively an anomaly. But I mean, as you are probably aware, the, the social and political trends that happen on the American left also deeply influence what happens on the British left. And looking at the responses from left, left-wing groups and accounts uh, as a riot broke out um, in Bristol, and a lot of people have criticized me for describing it as far, a far-left riot, but if you looked at the groups that were promoting people to come to that protest and riot, so there were Extinction Rebellion had put out a call, the local Bristol chapter of a Black Lives Matter style group did, Momentum did, which is the, the hard left movement within the Labour Party. So all of that was evidence that it, there was a political persuasion to the people who showed up. And you could also see it in the signs as well as flags and symbols that were carried. So I saw, saw the hammer and sickle in the photographs, people talking about racism and fascism in their signs. And various Antifa accounts have put out uh, advice as the riot was happening, telling people to make sure to mask up, wear black block, uh, don't record video footage. So, uh, you know, I stand by my labeling of it as a, a, a far left riot. And you also look at some of the politicians that have been reluctant to condemn the rioters. One of them is the um, the MP for uh, Nottingham, Nadia Whitham, MP, she, her, very hard left, styles herself kind of as an AOC. She was pressed on BBC today if she would condemn the actions of the rioters, and she would not. So, like, all that put together, I think it's the same way of how, like, how, how do journalists determine when, for example, a protest or a riot is far right? You look at the groups that called for people to come, you look at the symbols of the flags, you look at the messaging, and you look potentially into the backgrounds of the people who are there. I'm trying to find out the names of the people who were arrested in Bristol. I haven't found that information yet. But So all that put together is why I label it as such. It's very interesting that it's Bristol, because I think Bristol is 
the closest Britain has to uh, to Portland in terms of you have a very liberal, affluent, middle class. It's a sort of set of people who've, who've left London to, to live a more liberal left wing middle class, though nonetheless very privileged and middle class lifestyle in a city. And they have quite progressive politics and it's sort of taken over um, a lot of local institutions. And you have that combining with quite a large criminal element and a gang culture, which I think is what happened in Portland, is it not? Yeah, so I recently actually went to Bristol. So I was able to compare and contrast Bristol to other parts of the southern England that I've been to. And immediately what I noticed were the outsized influence of the left-wing political culture from the university there. And you see Black Lives Matter signs all over, like you would see like in a Portland or a New York. I was looking at the stickers that are placed in public places, and uh, unsurprisingly, there were anti-fascist action stickers all around. And speaking to people who know Bristol well, it's my understanding that it is a, a left-wing political monoculture. So it, it does have a lot of these very similar variables that leave it vulnerable to radical left-wing political violence. I don't think, I mean, it's not a coincidence that Bristol is a city where people toppled the statue last year, dragged it quite a distance and dumped it into the water. Well, well, the policeman looked on approvingly. That's right. Yeah. Well, Andy, uh, we'd better wrap it up there, but uh, thank you very much for joining us and um, welcome to London. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite. 